Well, today, of course, uh, marks Father's Day. Uh, happy Father's Day. Uh, but today also, as was mentioned, is Juneteenth. And Juneteenth is the national holiday that celebrates the end of slavery in America. Uh, when Abraham Lincoln gave the Emancipation Proclamation in 1863, uh, it was actually only, it, was, it took two and a half years after that proclamation until slavery was actually fully done in America, before that announcement would be fully enforced and slavery would be fully removed from our country. Um, Juneteenth marks the day when that happened. Because uh, in this day, June 19, 1865, the Major General Gordon Granger arrived with his troops in Texas, Texas was one of the last holdout states where they were still practicing slavery, even after the Emancipation Proclamation. Um, he shows up with his troops and uh, by force, and, but also by his decree, declares that slavery was over, that all those who were enslaved were in fact free. And so this day marks that day, and this is something that we recognize. Now, I say this to say that this doesn't mean like because Granger did that and finally the last vestiges of slavery were gone, didn't mean that America's habits of racialized oppression and racism just went away, like right on that day. Um, we know, of course, that's not what happened. Uh, we had issues, we continue to have issues in this area. Um, however, it's worth saying this, you know, in our, our complicated history, when it comes to the issues of race in our country, um, it's worth saying that there are moments when we as Americans really do take a major step forward. Um, there are moments in our history where things do get better, <laughs> where we sort of were one way and now we are demonstrably another way, a better way. Um, and it's important to recognize those moments in our racial history and Juneteenth is one of those moments. Juneteenth is one of those moments where things really did get better. Uh, and that's why we recognize it. Uh, we recognize it, we celebrate it. Um, now, the end of slavery happens because not everyone, <laughs> obviously it took a war for all this to happen, but more people than before began to, to Realize and accept a very basic thing, which is that black people are not objects, that we're not property, that black people are in fact people. Uh, the black people are human beings. And the reason that's important to say that black people are human beings is because of a core Christian belief. The reason that's significance that we say black people are human beings is because of something that's right there in our statement of faith that we believe as Christians. And, and so in that first sentence of the third section of our statement of faith, what we'll be talking about this morning, and it's this. We believe that God created human beings, male and female, and in his own image. So we at Roosevelt believe, we've been saying this over the last few weeks, that there's a God, and this God made us. In fact, he personally handcrafted us. To be a human being is to have God's fingerprints on you. To be handcrafted by God. This is Psalm 139, verses 14 to 15. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Fearfully and wonderfully made by God himself, the creator of the universe. Now right there, that's, that's amazing to consider. Just, just right there. Throughout most of human history, most human civilizations have talked about there being gods out there. But the natural assumptions was that the gods were aloof, distant, didn't care about human beings. That was sort of the natural understanding, natural sort of belief about the gods. It's Christian belief that's the first to say something very different. To say, first of all, there's not many gods, there's one God. But even more to say this God cares about us. 
cares about you, cares about human beings. And that care is shown in many ways, but one of those ways is that he personally invested himself to create us. He has personally made us, personally created us. That means as a human being, you are intrinsically, inherently valuable. God made you. God created you. Humanity bears the intentional design of God, crafted by God himself. So right there is, is huge. <laughs> We're valuable and important because God made us. If you're born in this world, you're valuable because God created you personally. But there's an even bigger reason to say that human beings are valuable, and it's right there in that sentence of our statement of faith, and it's how we're created. God made us, but he made us in a particular way. And that particular way is this, that he's created us uniquely to be in his image. So first chapter of the Bible, Genesis 1, 26 to 27. And God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. So God created man in his own image. In image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So human beings were originally created to be like this mirror, right? And the reflection you're supposed to see in a human being is God. We're meant to reflect God. Understand, there's nothing in the universe, no animals, no stars, no planets, no mountains, no valleys. The most beautiful flower you've seen, the most awesome sunset you've seen, even the supernatural beings, the angels, none of them can say this. They're created in the image of God. They were made to reflect God. We alone are like God. We alone have been given the capacity to think, feel, talk, do, be Something like God, to see us and see something of who God is. Uh, many of us take selfies and you think about what a selfie, what is a selfie? A selfie represents who you are. You see a selfie, it's like a snapshot of that person. I mean, we can really say this, human beings are like selfies of God. <laughs> it's God's selfie. You are God's selfie. When you see a picture, when you see a human being, you're seeing a snapshot of God. A picture, something of who God is. You see, this belief then that the God, not just handcrafted us, but that we're the selfies of God. We are, hand, we are reflections of God himself. We are made in his image. This tells us, I mean, skyrockets our understanding that human beings are inherently viable, significant, important. But there's inherent dignity then in people. And how we see people and how we treat people. You're seeing something special when you're interacting with a human being. Uniquely in this universe, someone made in his image. This mean, and, and the way the Bible puts this, it means this is true the moment someone is born. The moment. Uh, there's, there's a number of babies among us. Praise God for them. That baby comes out, you're seeing something like awesome. That's, that's awe-striking. <laughs> something nowhere else you can find in the universe. You're seeing something right from the beginning when that baby is born. Someone crafted by God, made to reflect God. And that's true the moment they're born. It doesn't matter how beautiful or not beautiful they grew up to be how intelligent or not intelligent they'll be, doesn't matter what their social status will be, what their race is, how athletic or not athletic they are, all those things don't matter. They are valuable. They are special because they're human. Human, born in this world because of God, made to reflect God uniquely. This, this then shows why we treat people with the value and dignity that we should. This is what drives, what drove, and actually if you read some of the things that drove many of the abolitionists, they were driven by this core understanding. Like, black people aren't animals, they're humans. And we know what the Bible says about human beings. 
they're made in the image of God. This is what drove the end of chattel slavery. It's also what drives movements to give equal rights over the years to children or to women. It's what drives us to treat immigrants in a particular way, to treat the poor in a particular way. It's what dri- should drive us to, to look at, even and understand this is true no matter what you've done or will do. So prisoners and criminals, even them, yes, bear dignity and value inherently because why? They're made in the image of God. They're made to reflect God. This is why we treat people decently. <laughs> we treat people fairly because you're seeing something that God himself made to reflect him uniquely and that bears recognition. We are treated as special and valued because God made us and he made us in his image. So we understand something now about how God created us, how we're meant to be like in his image. And to be like then, sort of if we can sort of pull that thread a little bit more, it helps us then to think about what it really means to be human, how you can be most human, right? How you can live out what it is God has made you to be. To be human, if you sort of follow my logic here, if we're made in the image of God, made to reflect God, God's selfies, that means we're most human when we most act like the God who made us. We most reflect this God. You're more human the more you act the way God does. If we're meant to reflect him, then we're meant to act like him. Same way a picture should look like the person it's a picture of, we also should look like the God we are a picture of. So this means being like goodness and righteousness and justice and truth and grace and love. Why, is it, why should we be like those things? Because that's how God is like. Those are his characteristics. He's like goodness and righteousness and truth and justice and love. So these, being a human should be those things. It's meant to be those things. Human life is meant to exhibit those things. But if we were to sort of maybe, if I can pick one characteristic in particular that God is like, that we should be like. One thing that most especially describes God, and then that means what it most especially describes what it means to be human. It's this, that we are meant to be self-giving. There's one characteristic, and it's a feature in our statement of faith, is we believe in a self-giving God, and that means we're meant to be as human beings self-giving. We're most like God, that means you're most human when you are most self-giving. You're most giving of yourself. You know, think of a boat um, that never sails on the water, that only stays in the dock. Um, I was reading an article recently, uh, these sort of billionaires that make these amazing yachts, but never sail them, right? <laughs> so imagine like you, you just amazingly designed yacht that is able to navigate the oceans at like huge speeds that is able to, it just, just, it's amazing when you watch it on the water, but it never goes out on the water. Is it still a boat? It's still a boat, but it's never really able to be fully what it's meant to be. Boats are meant to sail. <laughs> They're meant to navigate the oceans. They're meant to go around and bring people places for you to enjoy the ocean on that boat. A boat is only really a boat when it's sailing. That's what it meant for. So in the same way, when we as human beings are focused on ourselves, it's like we're in the dock. We're never, ever going to realize our full potential. We will never be fully human. It's like the boat that never sails. So it was one of the things I've, I've, I've begun to think about more recently. Sadly, there's a number of people sort of I've, I've been working with, interacting with in different counseling situations, and in some situations, not great. And, and what I'm noticing in this, some of these situations, different relationships on helping people reconcile. One person, one or more people in sort of these relationships I'm, I'm speaking into, realizing they're incredibly selfish, incredibly prideful. And one of the things I'm starting to, I was like, 
it's almost like the outside looks good, but because as Christians, we can see beyond that. As a Christian, you can see into people's soul, into their spirit. It's literally like I'm watching it after, I'm watching it like get corrupted and ugly. Like in many ways, they look more ugly to me because their souls are more ugly. They're less human. They're less human. The more selfish and self-indulgent you are, the less human you are. The more like an animal you really are. The more you are focused on yourself, the more you're prideful. You are falling away from what God created to be. This is why we have in our statement of faith that we are called to move beyond self-indulgence and instead to an active self-giving. There is power and beauty and glory in human beings when we are self-giving. Like there is almost a lightness of being, a, a, a way in which if you're around someone who is just giving of themselves, <laughs> caring for others, extending themselves out to someone, like there's something like beautiful about that, isn't there? There's something, there's, one, there's a reason why we, we, we're in awe of people who just pour themselves out and bless the many people around them. There's people like that in, in our congregation, people who open up their homes for others, people who, who give away money and time and energy for the sake of others. There's people here who spent tons of time helping people get jobs or, or be able to, to, to go to school. What you're seeing is something amazing and beautiful. And no wonder you're seeing God. You're seeing something of God. We are most human when we are this way. We're most being in the way that we're meant to be. God is self-giving. We're meant to be self-giving. Now, there's one huge problem we can't avoid on all this. So the thing we got to recognize in this and is this, that uh, it's the, the problem the Bible calls sin, right? Sin, we're meant to be self-giving, but so many of us aren't self-giving. Sin is our rejection of God's ways, and that's what leads us to being selfish and prideful. We're supposed to reflect God, but it's almost like we're a mirror, but that mirror is cracked or broken. It's like the, the, imagine that, that, that cell phone camera has a, a, a big crack within that camera. It has a, it's, there's, there's mud on it. Right? So we're still made in God's image, but like that image is, is like twisted. It's, it's, it's flawed. It's harder to see, and that's because of sin. We aren't being as fully human as we're meant to be because we don't display God in the ways that we're supposed to. So that's a problem for what I'm talking about this morning, but there's a solution for us, isn't there? God has given us a major fix, and, and that, it's this. It's understanding that God didn't just create us. God has also recreated us. He's provided a fix for the problem of sin. He created us. We screwed it up. God moved to recreate us through Jesus. Here's what the Bible says about Jesus. Colossians 1, verse 15. Jesus, he, is the image of of the invisible God. Notice, I want you to notice the difference here. It says Jesus, it doesn't say Jesus is in the image. It's important language change here. We're, talk to, we're in the image, reflections. Jesus is not a, just a reflection of God. Jesus is the image. The way the Greek works there is like he's 100% God. That makes sense, right? We've been talking about that, I think two weeks ago. Jesus is God himself. But specifically, he's the person of God who comes into our world. To see Jesus is to see God. To have Jesus is to have God. And that's why Christian belief is fundamentally about knowing Jesus, relating to Jesus, believing in Jesus, following after Jesus. Why? Because it's Jesus that allows us to restore and reclaim our humanity. It's Jesus in and through him because Jesus is the image of God that we can be like the God who made us. Because Jesus is God, I mean, giving himself to the uttermost. 
giving himself to the point of even dying so that we, in and through Jesus, can come back into ourselves, understand who we are, and be who we're meant to be. Gracious and righteous and loving like God, self-giving like God. This is why, I mean, if anything you hear from Roosevelt, from me, from me preaching, from John, for any one of us who preach from our front, you should always, hopefully, always hear this. We want you to know Jesus, to believe in Jesus and follow Jesus. Why? Well, here's one reason why. I want you to be human. <laughs> I want you to be fully human. I want you to realize your full potential. I don't want you to live most of your time on this planet never knowing the full joy and beauty and glory of what it means to be a human being. And that can't happen apart from God, and we can't get to God apart from Jesus. Jesus brings us back to God and restores us to himself. And by restoring himself, we restore humanity. So this morning, if there's anything I hope you know in here, believe in Jesus, know Jesus, follow Jesus. Here's how we're able to be what we're meant to be. So human beings, we're meant to be like God, right? We're meant to be like God, a reflection of God. And we can summarize that as being self-giving. Our God is self-giving. We reflect God when we're self-giving. This plays out at least in, in two areas. I want to sort of tease that out, how we can be self-giving in this world. Number one, self-giving how we relate to the world. But two, then, we're most fully human when we're self-giving in how we relate to other people. Right? So first, how we relate to the world. We want to relate to the world in self-giving ways. And here's one way of describing how we do that. It's in our statement of faith. We want to be serving as God's caretakers in the cultivation of creation. So another word you could use here is stewardship. I think you know this. Like you, didn't, you don't own this world. Right? I don't think anyone here did anything to craft any of the rocks or planets or leaves. Uh, no one here has put oxygen molecules together right, so we can breathe. No one here has invented water. No one here was behind the fact that we have sun today. Like, none of us have, right? You're born in this planet recognizing it's something that was given to you. It was created by God. We don't own this world. The world belongs to, the, to God, which means that word stewardship has, has an important sense to it, right? or caretakers, like it says in our statement of faith. Like, it's been given to us by God. Which means we should care for it the way God wants us to care for it. We should steward it and oversee it in the way God wants us to, to do so. That means, yes, a sense of authority over this world. Because we're unique in how we create it and anything in this world. So there's a sense of authority we have over this world. But it's not an authority to pollute or destroy our world. It's not an authority to ravage or squander or abuse our world. Why do I say that? Because that's not how God created this world. God did not give us a world that's toxic and polluted and warped and corrupted and it's like all broken pieces, right? No, he gave us a world that was good. It's meant to function. And so we reflect God in the same way when we care for the world in the way that God created this world. And where God sustained this world. That's less than human when we squander this world, right? So we, wanna, we have an authority of this world, but it's an authority that should be exercised like God does. That authority, though, does mean something. So in the same way God, when we look at the way God created this world, we see creativity in this world. We see beauty in this world. We see ways in which God has allowed this world to develop and grow. Like over, I mean, even now, to this day, we have not come anywhere near discovering all the secrets of what God has made in this universe. Right? I mean, like there's things in the bottom of our ocean we still have not seen yet that are amazing. That is there. Like that's how, I mean, that, that, that's how... That, this is how much God's got it. Like, he can, like, make things that none of us will see, right? Just, just, just to do it. 
And knowing maybe one day, yeah, maybe 100 years from now they'll see that and they'll be amazed. <laughs> That's how God is. And so we who reflect the same God in the same way we're meant to be in this world, caring for this world in ways that cultivate it and develop it. This is the encouragement to build and create and cultivate and develop it and invent and do all these things, to do things in good ways, in good, in good ways that don't sort of destroy our world, but sort of enhance what God has given us in ways that better show off this God that we have. This is a way in which we're self-giving, isn't it? But being wise and good, caring caretakers of this world, cultivating this world, developing, leading this world in the way that God would have us. So here's one way we can be human in this world, sort of self-giving caretakers of the world. Another way, though, of course, maybe even more essential way, is how we relate to other people. Self-giving and how we relate to those around us. Here again is our, our statement of faith, that we are called to an active, self-giving engagement with family, church, and civic life. Here's three areas where we can think almost immediately, if we're to be most human where we're self-giving, here's three areas where we have to be self-giving because it involves relationship. In our family, how we give of ourselves for the benefit and good of our family. In church, church does not work if we're self-indulgent and prideful. It's something else. It is something else. We may still call it a church, but it is not a church, at least not God's church. If we come in here thinking first and foremost, this is about me, what I'm going to get. What are they going to give me? Like, that's not it. That's not it. Church, if it's going to be God's church, requires self-giving. And that you've come here, you've been placed here to give of yourself to others even as other people give to you. We think of civic life. I mean, here's something we desperately need in our civic life. How might we operate in our communities, in our cities, in our governments and institutions for the benefit of other people? That means I'm willing to maybe give up some things so that others could be blessed, others could benefit. In so doing, we are being human. We're showing off to God that, we, that we're meant, meant to be like. So we're most human when we're self-giving, and these are areas where we have to be self-giving, where we're, we've been placed especially to be self-giving. Family, church, civic life. But there's one key area especially that is worth talking about and spending a little time here to think about is, is the marriage relationship. If we sort of drill down to maybe the most key area, the most unique relationship where we get to express self-giving, it's marriage. It's marriage. Now, you probably saw it in, in the Genesis passage. This is one of the things that we, we, we should notice about what it means to be human, about the way humanity has been created, that humanity is created gendered. You think about that? Like we're, we're not one gender, we're, we're two genders. Each gender is fully human. If you look at a man, you look at a woman, they're, they're not like saying, well, you're not really human. No, they're, they're each individually human. But when we talk about humanity, the human race, we have to talk about men and women. Male and female. And we shouldn't be surprised. Like this reflects God, doesn't it? Who is God? He's one God, three persons. And so something of who God is is going to be reflected. And if we're made in his image, we shouldn't be surprised that humanity is one human race and yet two genders at the same time, male and female. It's that sense that we say human beings are in the image of God. Not, we're not just in the image of God as solitary beings, but also in a duality of male and female. Again, if you look back at that Genesis passage, it says both in this amazing way. It says in Genesis, in the image of God, he created humankind or mankind. So mankind, humanity, we're in the image of God. But it also says male and female, he created them. That when Adam was created, his work was not done. God had to create Eve 
for the full expression of humanity, which is the full expression of who God is. Gendered humanity, then, means that human, humanity, to be a human being, requires relationship. It requires connection with other people. Adam and Eve could not live independent lives. Adam could not be like, hey, I'll be on this side of the garden, and you be on the other side of the garden, and, you know, don't talk to me, right? That, don't, that wouldn't work. Adam and Eve, for the human race to be what it's supposed to be, to grow and develop, required them to be in relationship with one another. To be in relationship required self-giving and connection for it to thrive. And the key relationship, just, that's just true in general, right? With Adam and Eve, they needed relationship that required a self-giving relationship. But what's especially true, it required marriage, didn't it, for that to really work. That first marriage was central to humanity and required self-giving towards one another. That's why we say marriage is meant to be between a man and a woman, because it's how God is like. It reflects the God who made us. It ref- uniquely shows God off in a way that no one else can. Wait, man can't do it apart uh, on their own. Woman can't do it apart from their own. We need those relationships across the genders, and marriage especially displays that and demonstrates that. Think about God. God is difference, Father, Son, and Spirit, but comes together as one. We have difference embedded in our humanity, and God is meant for that difference to come together in relationships like marriage. Our statement of faith talks about this one flesh union. One flesh union requires relationship and it especially requires marriage. It doesn't work any other way. We can try to make it work, but it's almost like you're taking, um, you're taking a key part of, of something and, and, and trying to place it somewhere else where it's not supposed to be. We think about what marriage, that one flesh union is supposed to be. It's sort of what I, I want to sort of describe as self-giving commitment. Marriage reflects commitment. It reflects commitment. Why? Because God is committed. God, in and of himself, has always been within himself. He's never said, you know, I'm going to move. Father's never said to the son, I'm going to move out for a while and not talk to you anymore. <laughs> right? But the spirit has never said, um, you know, I, I've had enough of this. For, it's been a couple thousand of years. I'm going to do something else. <laughs> The very heart of God has been eternal commitment. So we, as best we can, in this sort of, he's infinite and eternal commitment, we are finite commitment. We, are, we have opportunities to display commitment in this life, on this planet, in multiple ways we show commitment in our families, in our churches, but we must uniquely show commitment in our marriages. But not just any type of commitment, we're meant to show self-giving commitment. That physically, emotionally, in general, we put other people first. We put our spouses first. Why do we do that? Why do I say that? That's how God is like. That's how God is like. What knits a husband and wife, a male and female, again, it has to be a male and female that does this. What puts them together and knits them together is that sense of self-giving, and that shows God. Father, son, and spirit, difference and yet one. Man and woman, difference and yet one. It's why the Bible says a man will leave his father and mother and hold fast, not to his woman, his woman's, his man, no, it says to his wife, to his wife. And we can put other combinations together for sure, but there's something uniquely special and important and significant about the fact that a man and woman come together as one. It's the fact that it most shows who God is. It most allows us to live in the way God calls us to. That's why marriage at its best, is uniquely able to display the glory of God's image. Now, again, we fall short of that. We don't measure up to, to that. Um, one of the things that I'm, I'm, I'm always aware of in ministry is how many marriages aren't able to do that. I'm showing an ideal here, but we fall short of that ideal. This is why, again, we come back 
to something I said earlier in our sermon, why we talk about Jesus. To be human, we must be in Jesus. And if this central relationship, marriage, especially allows us to show God, we also need our marriages to be in Jesus. It's only in Jesus that we can have the power and the ability to be self-giving. Because Jesus is God, self-giving to the uttermost. Giving fully and totally of himself. And so by faith in Jesus, we individually come into Christ and are and able to be self-giving humans. But then our marriages are able to be self-giving. This is what makes marriages feel heavenly. A good marriage feels heavenly. It feels glorious. It feels beautiful and awesome. Why is that? That didn't come from nowhere. The most best marriages are marriages where people are self-giving towards each other. And that self-giving nature comes from God. We're being like God in our marriages. That's what we want to believe. That's what we want to promote. That's what we want to be about. If human life is to be heavenly, but we got to treat each other the ways that God has treated us. We're self-giving and we're self-giving like Jesus is. That's what gives us value and significance. That's why we treat other people with value and significance. We have an opportunity to, to sort of get a peek, not just a peek, an experience of what heavenly community is about when we are living into the ways God has made us. Marriage is sort of this, this, um, this, this crown jewel showing this. But when our marriages show this, but not just our marriages, when our families show this, when our churches show this, when we, our communities show this, when we become fully human, when we begin to, to not see people as less than because of who they are, or how they're made, or where they're from, or what they've done, but we begin to see people as human beings and we begin to invite them to step fully into that humanity by knowing Jesus and being self-giving like Jesus, like, it is heaven on earth. It is beautiful and glorious. Of course, these things are hard and we fall far short of them. Um, we are so prone, we're so inclined. And I, and I think we, we sense it even, especially now today, so prone and so inclined to think first of what's best for ourselves, to think first what's best for me and mine and all those around me. It's hard to break out of that. And that's why we paint the picture. We should always paint the picture of a God who didn't do that. Of a God who enjoyed heavenly perfection, who did not need to create and still created. God did not need to make you. He was not lonely. He was not bored. And yet he still made you. How else can you explain that but self-giving? It's love, it's mercy, it's peace all poured out to make you and place you here. And we're invited to experience that as well, to experience who God is in that same way. He's drawn us back to himself through Jesus. Uh, let's pray that we would live in that. Let's pray that we would be more human. More human in our families, in our churches, more human in our marriages. Because of how God has called us back to himself in Christ. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for um, just what you've given us. Um, thank you for um, the power, the beauty, the glory of being a human being, Lord. Um, and again, not from something that we have in ourselves, it's something that you gave towards us. You made us to be that way. Uh, you made us to be that way because we're made in your image. Being in your image allows us to, to show you off, to be all the things that you are, but most especially in this one key characteristic that you give of yourself. Lord, help us to be more self-giving, to think not first of ourselves, but of others around us. Knowing, Lord, we do so only in and through Jesus. Um, we need his help. 
So we pray for it. Um, in Jesus' name, amen.